Section 38 of Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 13. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 13. Edited by Charles Dudley Warner. Section 38. Ralph Waldo Emerson. Part 2. Love. Here let us examine a little nearer the nature of that influence which is thus potent over the human youth. Beauty, whose revelation to man we now celebrate, welcome as the sun wherever it pleases to shine, which pleases everybody with it and with themselves, seems sufficient to itself. The lover cannot paint his maiden to his fancy, poor and solitary. Like a tree in flower, so much soft budding in forming loveliness is society for itself, and she teaches his eye why beauty was pictured with loves and graces attending her steps. Her existence makes the world rich. Though she extrudes all other persons from his attention as cheap and unworthy, she indemnifies him by carrying out her own being into somewhat impersonal large mundane so that the maiden stands to him for a representative of all select things and virtues for that reason the lover never sees personal resemblances in his mistress to her kindred or to others his friends find in her a likeness to her mother or her sisters or to persons not of her blood the lover sees no resemblance except to summer evenings and diamond mornings to rainbows and the song of birds the ancients called beauty the flowering of virtue who can analyze the nameless charm which glances from one and another face and form we are touched with emotions of tenderness and complacency but we cannot find whereat this dainty emotion this wandering gleam points it is destroyed for the imagination by any attempt to refer it to organization nor does it point to any relations of friendship or love known and described in society but as it seems to me to a quite other and unattainable sphere to relations of transcendent delicacy and sweetness to what roses and violets hint and foreshow we cannot approach beauty its nature is like opaline dove's neck lustres hovering and evanescent herein it resembles the most excellent things which all have this rainbow character defying all attempts at appropriation and use what else did jean paul richter signify when he said to music away away thou speakest to me of things which in all my endless life i have not found and shall not find the same fluency may be observed in every work of the plastic arts the statue is then beautiful when it begins to be incomprehensible when it is passing out of criticism and can no longer be defined by compass and measuring wand but demands an active imagination to go with it and to say what it is in the act of doing 
the god or hero of the sculptor is always represented in a transition from that which is representable to the senses to that which is not then first it ceases to be a stone the same remark holds of painting and of poetry the success is not attained when it lulls and satisfies but when it astonishes and fires us with new endeavors after the unattainable concerning it landor inquires whether it is not to be referred to some purer state of sensation and existence in like manner personal beauty is then first charming and itself when it dissatisfies us with any end when it becomes a story without an end when it suggests gleams and visions and not earthly satisfactions when it makes the beholder feel his unworthiness when he cannot feel his right to it though he were caesar he cannot feel more right to it than to the firmament and the splendors of a sunset hence arose the saying if i love you what is that to you we say so because we feel that what we love is not in your will but above it it is not you but your radiance it is that which you know not in yourself and can never know this agrees well with that high philosophy of beauty which the ancient writers delighted in for they said that the soul of man embodied here on earth went roaming up and down in quest of that other world of its own out of which it came into this but was soon stupefied by the light of the natural sun and unable to see any other objects than those of this world which are but shadows of real things therefore the deity sends the glory of youth before the soul that it may avail itself of beautiful bodies as aids to its recollection of the celestial good and fair and the man beholding such a person in the female sex runs to her and finds the highest joy in contemplating the form movement and intelligence of this person because it suggested to him the presence of that which indeed is within the beauty and the cause of the beauty if however from too much conversing with material objects the soul was gross and misplaced its satisfaction in the body it reaped nothing but sorrow body being unable to fulfil the promise which beauty holds out but if accepting the hint of these visions and suggestions which beauty makes to his mind the soul passes through the body and falls to admire strokes of character and the lovers contemplate one another in their discourses and their actions then they pass to the true palace of beauty more and more inflame their love of it and by this love extinguishing the base affection as the sun puts out fire by shining on the hearth they become pure and hallowed by conversation with that which is in itself excellent magnanimous lowly and just the lover comes to a warmer love of these nobilities and a quicker apprehension of them then he passes from loving them in one to loving them in all 
and so is the one beautiful soul only the door through which he enters to the society of all true and pure souls in the particular society of his mate he attains a clearer sight of any spot any taint which her beauty has contracted from this world and is able to point it out and this with mutual joy that they are now able without offence to indicate blemishes and hindrances in each other and give to each all help and comfort in curing the same and beholding in many souls the traits of the divine beauty and separating in each soul that which is divine from the taint which it has contracted in the world the lover ascends to the highest beauty to the love and knowledge of the divinity, by steps on this ladder of created souls. Circles The eye is the first circle, the horizon which it forms is the second, and throughout nature this primary figure is repeated without end. It is the highest emblem in the cipher of the world. St. Augustine described the nature of God as a circle whose center was everywhere and its circumference nowhere. We are all our lifetime reading the copious sense of this first of forms. One moral we have already deduced in considering the circular or compensatory character of every human action. Another analogy we shall now trace, that every action admits of being outdone. Our life is an apprenticeship to the truth, that around every circle another can be drawn, that there is no end in nature, but every end is a beginning, that there is always another dawn risen on mid-noon, and under every deep a lower deep opens. There are no fixtures in nature. The universe is fluid and volatile. Permanence is but a word of degrees. Our globe, seen by God, is a transparent law, not a mass of facts. The law dissolves the fact and holds it fluid. Our culture is the predominance of an idea which draws after it this train of cities and institutions. Let us rise into another idea. They will disappear. The Greek sculpture is all melted away as if it had been statues of ice, here and there a solitary figure or fragment remaining, as we see flecks and scraps of snow left in cold dells and mountain clefts in June and July. For the genius that created it creates now somewhat else, the Greek letters last a little longer, but are already passing under the same sentence and tumbling into the inevitable pit which the creation of new thought opens for all that is old. The new continents are built out of the ruins of an old planet. The new races fed out of the decomposition of the foregoing. New arts destroy the old. See the investment of capital in aqueducts made useless by hydraulics, fortifications by gunpowder, roads and canals by railways, sails by steam, steam by electricity. You admire this tower of granite weathering the hurts of so many ages. 
Yet a little waving hand built this huge wall, and that which builds is better than that which is built. The hand that built can topple it down much faster. Better than the hand and nimbler was the invisible thought which wrought through it, and thus ever behind the coarse effect is a fine cause, which being narrowly seen is itself the effect of a finer cause. Everything looks permanent until its secret is known. A rich estate appears to women and children a firm and lasting fact. To a merchant, one easily created out of any materials and easily lost. An orchard, good tillage, good grounds seem a fixture like a gold mine or a river to a citizen but to a large farmer not much more fixed than the state of the crop nature looks provokingly stable and secular but it has a cause like all the rest and when once i comprehend that will these fields stretch so immovably wide these leaves hang so individually considerable Permanence is a word of degrees, everything is medial. Moons are no more bounds to spiritual power than bat-balls. The key to every man is his thought. Sturdy and defying though he look, he has a helm which he obeys, which is the idea after which all his facts are classified. He can only be reformed by showing him a new idea which commands his own. The life of man is a self-evolving circle, which from a ring imperceptibly small rushes on all sides outwards to new and larger circles, and that without end. The extent to which this generation of circles, wheel without wheel will go, depends on the force or truth of the individual soul. For it is the inert effort of each thought having formed itself into a circular wave of circumstance as for instance an empire rules of an art a local usage a religious rite to heap itself on that ridge and to solidify and hem in the life but if the soul is quick and strong it bursts over that boundary on all sides and expands another orbit on the great deep which also runs up into a high wave with attempt again to stop and to bind but the heart refuses to be imprisoned in its first and narrowest pulses it already tends outward with a vast force and to immense and innumerable expansions every ultimate fact is only the first of a new series every general law only a particular fact of some more general law presently to disclose itself there is no outside no enclosing wall no circumference to us the man finishes his story how good how final how it puts a new face on all things he fills the sky lo on the other side rises also a man and draws a circle around the circle we had just pronounced the outline of the sphere then already is our first speaker not man but only a first speaker his only redress is forthwith to draw a circle outside of his antagonist and so men do by themselves 
the result of to-day, which haunts the mind and cannot be escaped, will presently be abridged into a word, and the principle that seemed to explain nature will itself be included as one example of a bolder generalization. In the thought of to-morrow there is a power to upheave all thy creed, all the creeds, all the literatures of the nations, and marshal thee to a heaven which no epic dream has yet depicted. Every man is not so much a workman in the world as he is a suggestion of that he should be. Men walk as prophecies of the next age." Step by step we scale this mysterious ladder. The steps are actions, the new prospect is power. Every several result is threatened and judged by that which follows. Everyone seems to be contradicted by the new. It is only limited by the new. The new statement is always hated by the old, and to those dwelling in the old comes like an abyss of skepticism but the eye soon gets wanted to it, for the eye and it are effects of one cause. Then its innocency and benefit appear, and presently all its energy spent, it pales and dwindles before the revelation of the new hour. Self-Reliance Trust thyself. Every heart vibrates to that iron string. Accept the place the divine providence has found for you, the society of your contemporaries, the connection of events. Great men have always done so, and confided themselves childlike to the genius of their age, betraying their perception that the absolutely trustworthy was seated at their heart, working through their hands, predominating in all their being." and we are now men, and must accept in the highest mind the same transcendent destiny, and not minors and invalids in a protected corner, not cowards fleeing before a revolution, but guides, redeemers, and benefactors, obeying the almighty effort, and advancing on chaos and the dark." What pretty oracles nature yields us on this text in the face and behavior of children, babes, and even brutes! That divided and rebel mind, that distrust of a sentiment, because our arithmetic has computed the strength and means opposed to our purpose, these have not. Their mind being whole, their eye is as yet unconquered and when we look in their faces we are disconcerted infancy conforms to nobody all conform to it so that one babe commonly makes four or five out of the adults who prattle and play to it so god has armed youth and puberty and manhood no less with its own piquancy and charm and made it enviable and gracious and its claims not to be put by if it will stand by itself do not think the youth has no force because he cannot speak to you and me hark in the next room the voice is sufficiently clear and emphatic it seems he knows how to speak to his contemporaries bashful or bold then he will know how to make us seniors very unnecessary 
the nonchalance of boys who are sure of a dinner, and would disdain as much as a lord to do or say aught to conciliate one, is the healthy attitude of human nature. A boy is in the parlour what the pit is in the playhouse, independent, irresponsible, looking out from his corner on such people and facts as pass by. He tries and sentences them on their merits, in the swift summary way of boys, as good, bad, interesting, silly, eloquent, troublesome. He cumbers himself never about consequences, about interests. He gives an independent, genuine verdict. You must court him, he does not court you. But the man is, as it were, clapped into jail by his consciousness, as soon as he has once acted or spoken with éclat he is a committed person watched by the sympathy or the hatred of hundreds whose affections must now enter into his account there is no lethe for this ah that he could pass again into his neutrality who can thus avoid all pledges and having observed observe again from the same unaffected, unbiased, unbribable, unaffrighted innocence, must always be formidable. He would utter opinions on all passing affairs, which being seen to be not private but necessary, would sink like darts into the ear of men, and put them in fear. These are the voices which we hear in solitude, but they grow faint and inaudible as we enter into the world society everywhere is in conspiracy against the manhood of every one of its members society is a joint stock company in which the members agree for the better securing of his bread to each shareholder to surrender the liberty and culture of the eater the virtue in most request is conformity Self-reliance is its aversion. It loves not realities and creators, but names and customs. Whoso would be a man must be a nonconformist. He who would gather immortal palms must not be hindered by the name of goodness, but must explore if it be goodness. Nothing is at last sacred but the integrity of your own mind. Absolve you to yourself, and you shall have the suffrage of the world. I remember an answer which, when quite young, I was prompted to make to a valued adviser, who was wont to importune me with the dear old doctrines of the Church. On my saying, what have I to do with the sacredness of traditions if I live wholly from within? My friend suggested but these impulses may be from below, not from above. I replied, they do not seem to me to be such, but if I am the devil's child, I will live then from the devil. No law can be sacred to me but that of my nature. Good and bad are but names very readily transferable to that or this. The only right is what is after my constitution." the only wrong what is against it a man is to carry himself in the presence of all opposition as if everything were titular and ephemeral but he i am ashamed to think how easily we capitulate to badges and names
to large societies and dead institutions. Every decent and well-spoken individual affects and sways me more than is right. I ought to go upright and vital and speak the rude truth in all ways. If malice and vanity wear the coat of philanthropy, shall that pass? If an angry bigot assumes this bountiful cause of abolition, and comes to me with his last news from Barbados, why should I not say to him, Go, love thy infant, love thy wood-chopper, be good-natured and modest, have that grace, and never varnish your hard, uncharitable ambition with this incredible tenderness for black folk a thousand miles off, thy love afar is spite at home rough and graceless would be such greeting but truth is handsomer than the affectation of love your goodness must have some edge to it else it is none the doctrine of hatred must be preached as the counteraction of the doctrine of love when that pules and whines I shun father and mother and wife and brother when my genius calls me. I would write on the lintels of the doorpost, Whim. I hope it is somewhat better than whim at last, but we cannot spend the day in explanation. Expect me not to show cause why I seek or why I exclude company. Then again, do not tell me, as a good man did to-day, of my obligation to put all poor men in good situations. Are they my poor? I tell thee, thou foolish philanthropist, that I grudge the dollar, the dime, the cent I give to such men, as do not belong to me, and to whom I do not belong. There is a class of persons to whom by all spiritual affinity I am bought and sold. For them I will go to prison if need be. But your miscellaneous popular charities, the education at college of fools, the building of meeting-houses to the vain end to which many now stand, alms to sots, and the thousandfold relief societies, though i confess with shame i sometimes succumb and give the dollar it is a wicked dollar which by and by i shall have the manhood to withhold what i must do is all that concerns me not what the people think this rule equally arduous in actual and in intellectual life may serve for the whole distinction between greatness and meanness it is the harder because you will always find those who think they know what is your duty better than you know it it is easy in the world to live after the world's opinion it is easy in solitude to live after our own but the great man is he who in the midst of the crowd keeps with perfect sweetness the independence of solitude history Civil and natural history, the history of art and of literature, must be explained from individual history, or must remain words. There is nothing but is related to us, nothing that does not interest us. Kingdom, college, tree, horse, or iron shoe, the roots of all things are in man." Santa Croce and the Dome of St. Peter's are lame copies after a divine model. 
Strasbourg Cathedral is a material counterpart of the soul of Erwin of Steinbach. The true poem is the poet's mind. The true ship is the shipbuilder. In the man, could we lay him open, we should see the reason for the last flourish and tendril of his work, as every spine and tint in the seashell pre-exists in the secreting organs of the fish. The whole of heraldry and of chivalry is in courtesy. A man of fine manners shall pronounce your name with all the ornament that titles of nobility could ever add. The trivial experience of every day is always verifying some old prediction to us, and converting into things the words and signs which we had heard and seen without heed. A lady with whom I was riding in the forest said to me that the woods always seemed to her to wait, as if the genii who inhabited them suspended their deeds until the wayfarer had passed onward a thought which poetry has celebrated in the dance of the fairies which breaks off on the approach of human feet the man who has seen the rising moon break out of the clouds at midnight has been present like an archangel at the creation of light and of the world i remember one summer day in the fields my companion pointed out to me a broad cloud which might extend a quarter of a mile parallel to the horizon, quite accurately in the form of a cherub as painted over churches, a round block in the center which it was easy to animate with eyes and mouth, supported on either side by wide-stretched symmetrical wings. What appears once in the atmosphere may appear often, and it was undoubtedly the archetype of that familiar ornament." I have seen in the sky a chain of summer lightning, which at once showed to me that the Greeks drew from nature when they painted the thunderbolt in the hand of Jove. I have seen a snowdrift along the sides of the stone wall, which obviously gave the idea of the common architectural scroll to abut a tower. By surrounding ourselves with the original circumstances, we invent anew the orders and the ornaments of architecture, as we see how each people merely decorated its primitive abodes. The Doric temple preserves the semblance of the wooden cabin in which the Dorian dwelt. The Chinese pagoda is plainly a Tartar tent. The Indian and Egyptian temples still betray the mounds and subterranean houses of their forefathers. The custom of making houses and tombs in the living rock, says Hiran in his researches on the Ethiopians, determined very naturally the principal character of the Nubian Egyptian architecture to the colossal form which it assumed. In these caverns already prepared by nature, the eye was accustomed to dwell on huge shapes and masses, so that when art came to the assistance of nature, it could not move on a small scale without degrading itself. What would statues of the usual size, or neat porches and wings, have been associated with those gigantic halls? before which only colossi could sit as watchmen or lean on the pillars of the interior 
the gothic church plainly originated in a rude adaptation of the forest trees with all their boughs to a festal or solemn arcade as the bands about the cleft pillars still indicate the green widths that tied them no one can walk in a road cut through pine woods without being struck with the architectural appearance of the grove especially in winter when the barrenness of all other trees shows the low arch of the saxons in the woods in a winter afternoon one will see as readily the origin of the stained glass window with which the gothic cathedrals are adorned in the colors of the western sky seen through the bare and crossing branches of the forest nor can any lover of nature enter the old piles of oxford and the english cathedrals without feeling that the forest overpowered the mind of the builder and that his chisel his saw and plane still reproduced its ferns its spikes of flowers its locust elm oak pine fir and spruce the gothic cathedral is a blossoming in stone subdued by the insatiable demand of harmony in man the mountain of granite blooms into an eternal flower with the lightness and delicate finish as well as the aerial proportions and perspective of vegetable beauty in like manner all public facts are to be individualized all private facts are to be generalized then at once history becomes fluid and true and biography deep and sublime end of section thirty eight ralph waldo emerson part two